Good morning. Today is Friday, July 11th, and um, I have three short studies I wanted to go over today. Uh, the first one is about is, is titled Female Crash Dummies, Part of Updated Vehicle Safety Test. Uh, to be honest, I never really thought about the sex of crash dummies and the impl implication of that. But the U.S. Transportation Department announced the first major update to its vehicle safety rating program in seven years. And there was a mixed reaction as to, as to this. It, starting in 2010, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration will change the way it measures frontal crashes by placing female dummies in passenger seats and taking injury data from new parts of the body, including the legs and neck. It will run a side pole test as well, meant to mimic collisions in which a vehicle wraps around a tree. The female dummy, dummies making their debut in the safety program after years of being used in basic compliance tests are, check this out, 4 feet 8 inches tall and weigh 108 pounds. Like that's the typical female in the United States, allowing them to pull double duty as large children in crash tests. Industry and consumer groups supported adding the dummies because some data suggests that smaller women may be more prone to serious injuries when riding in the right front passenger seat. Um, anyway, I, I suppose that makes sense. It sounds like rather than a female that they're talking about a size um, and you know weight and size of a, of a child and a small uh, woman as well as a small man. So I'm not sure. Specific sounds like it's more related to, to size. Anyway, I just wanted to share that to uh, make you aware of what was going on there. And that was in the Washington Post. The second one is uh, out of University of Southern California Health Sciences. And this one I, I found rather interesting. Researchers uncover health benefits of aspirin in the prevention and treatment of osteoporosis. And this is uh, researchers at the, at the University of Southern California School of Dentistry have uncovered the health benefits of aspirin in the fight against osteoporosis. 44 million Americans, 68% of whom are women, suffer from um, the debilitating effects of osteoporosis, according to the National Institute of Health. One out of every two women and one in four men over 50 will have an osteoporosis-related fracture in their lifetime. Isn't that amazing? One out of every two women. So between my sister and I, one of us will. The latest study identifies aspirin's medicinal rate on two fronts. In mice, the drug appears to prevent improper bone reabsorption and the death of bone-forming stem cells. An aspirin regimen appears to help mice recover from osteoporosis in two ways striking a balance between bone formation and resorption. Um, anyway, I thought that's really amazing. The silent disease affects both men and women. In women, bone loss is greatest during the first few years after menopause. This is why it's important to increase your calcium. Osteoporosis occurs when bone absorption occurs too quickly or when formation replacement occurs too slowly. The silent, um, according to the the uh, individual, the oh, sorry, principal investigator, the removal of the ovaries and the resulting decrease in estrogen induces osteoporosis in mice, much like the onset of the disease in postmenopausal women. 
It is commonly thought that T lymphocytes, a type of immune system cell, play a pivotal part in this process by overactivating osteoclasts, which are the bone cells that reabsorb bone material from the skeleton. Most current osteoporosis therapies aim to curb overactive osteoclasts. So that, that's the major treatment. Um, let me just repeat what that is. Most current osteoporosis therapies aim to curb overactive osteoclasts. Um, however, there may be another side to the T cells or the T lymphocytes role in osteoporosis. When the immune cells typically attack disease cells and other foreign entities, the T cells can mistakenly attack healthy stem cells. Not a good thing. The bone marrow mesenchymal cells, stem cells, or BMMSC, differentiate to become many different cells, including osteoblasts, the cells responsible for bone formation. If the process is impaired by T cells, bone formation cannot keep up with bone re reabsorption caused by osteoclasts and bone mineral density, density increase, which is the hallmark of osteoporosis. An aspirin regimen has been linked in earlier, earlier epidemiological studies to better bone mineral density, but the mechanisms of its interactions in regards to bone health has not been studied extensively. In this study, the, um, the investigator said that they show, they, they've shown how aspirin both inhibits bone reabsorption and promotes osteoblast formation. Another exciting aspect of the aspirin treatment is that the dose administered to the mice in order to increase their bone mineral density is the same as that of a typical human aspirin regimen when adjusted for body weight. While the species difference is still a factor, the results are promising. When they gave a large amount of aspirin to the mouse by injection, it did not work. But when we gave a low dose to the mice's water for a long period of time, similar to human dosage, the bone mineral density increased. Um, they, they are hoping that this will, you know, turn into better clinical strategies for osteoporosis and that they've opened a new door for um, treatment. The use of aspirin offers hope to patients and doctors searching for a potential alternative to biphosphonates currently being used as a means of prevention and treatment for osteoporosis. But before you run out and take aspirin, talk to your doctors first. Finally, the last one I felt compelled to share because uh, my father has bladder cancer. And uh, this study is kind of interesting. It's out of the University of Michigan Health System, which they wanted to find out what knowledge base people had about the relationship between smoking and bladder cancer. Now, you probably have heard me re uh, state in the past that my father is a three-pack-a-day, two- to three-pack-a-day smoker since he was 17 years old, and he's now 83 this September. And he has been treated for bladder cancer. And that didn't stop him from smoking, just to kind of show you the, uh, the addiction of this powerful drug. Even though cigarette smoking accounts for up to half of all bladder cancer cases, few people are aware of the connection including more than three-quarters of patients who have bladder cancer. And that's out of, uh, as I mentioned, the University of Mich Michigan Comprehensive Cancer Center. The knowledge vacuum suggests that urologists and other physicians need to do a much better job of telling patients about the risk of smoking and encourage them to quit. You know, for so long, we focus on the potential risk of 
lung cancers, but I dare you to ask your friends and family, are they aware of that the number one cause of bladder cancer is smoking? Um, the general, as, as these authors stated, the general public understands that cigarette smoking can lead to lung cancer, but very few understand the relationship to bladder cancer. In, in the first four years after a smoker quits, the risk of developing bladder cancer decreases by 40%. The, and the study appears in the issue of the Journal of Urology. Most patients who already had bladder cancer were, like the general public, unaware of the link between smoking and bladder cancer. They cite one study in which only 22% of patients with the disease were aware that smoking was a risk factor. A big gap exists between patient knowledge and their risk. It, it is interesting how this report, you know, leads evidence that physicians must do, as well as all healthcare practitioners, do a better job of communicating the risk to their patients, directing them towards smoking cessation programs. In the, in the U.S., more than 68,000 new cases of bladder cancer are expected to be diagnosed this year. And bladder cancer is one of the most costly cancers to treat. So the burden of the disease affects not only patients and their families, but also the nation's health care financing system. Whites get bladder cancer twice as often as African-Americans and Hispanics. And men are two to three times more likely than women to get bladder cancer, according to the National Cancer Institute. In addition to smoking, having a family history of the disease also increases a person's risk of developing bladder cancer. Secondhand smoke also may be a risk, but studies have not determined a conclusive um, link. Anyway, that's all I have for, day, for today. Um, uh, please uh, uh, send me an email if you have anything you'd like me to talk about. I wish you joy. I wish you health. And um, take care of yourself. This is Dr. Blind.